remember yourself in public school and elementary school, the structure of your building of that school, you start in one floor, you move further towards the end of that school as you go graduate from one year to the next. And eventually it sort of poops you out at the end. That hasn't changed in 50, 60, 70 years. The educational system, the physical buildings, forget the actual curriculum, just the buildings themselves haven't changed. So how can we expect to educate our kids in a different way when all their settings and what, where their schools are in the city and what the school actually provides is so stagnant? Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. Moving the needle when it comes to developing city infrastructure isn't always easy. It's a balancing act involving multiple stakeholders, competing interests, and innovation doesn't always win. However, today's guest is here to remind us that Rome wasn't built in a day. Alon Markovici is the managing director at City Age, a global platform where leaders meet to build the future of our urban planet. We discuss strategies for driving innovation forward in today's modern cities and how to adapt new perspective on growth and development for the future. Enjoy the episode. Thanks for joining me, Alon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Paul. So take a, if you don't mind, just take 30 seconds and, and tell me what, uh, what City Age is and what your vision is for it. Well, City Age is a 10-year-old company that started with the idea that people are not pl- putting enough attention on the issues, the massive trends and issues that are happening around our planet that are impacting cities. Our purpose is to connect, engage, inform, and mostly inspire leaders and decision makers across a variety of industries, government, private industry, the investment community, and the creative and academic class. And I think, you know, philosophically, we believe in quality over quantity, being action-oriented, solution-focused, and being flat in terms of parity with the audience and panelists. That's kind of who we are. Where we're headed is, um, it's fun to think about that because we're still, we're at the bottom of the hockey curve right now. We're just about to grow rapidly, I believe. I was fascinated by the top 10 list, which are, you know, obviously a great summary, but, but way more than you could possibly say grace over um, for all of us at, at any one given time. How did you get to that list? And, and how do you, as you're looking at interaction with investors and intellectuals and cities, how do you, how do you try to help them prioritize? Well, we've been, the, the top 10 list was, that was a recent one of ours. And you'll see a lot more of that over the coming months and years. In fact, we're working on launching an awards show in the next, in next calendar year in 2023. What, what is important to understand around our top 10 or any of our content is we try to focus in on specific themes that are of the utmost priority and not just airy fairy ideas, but actually items that can be actioned and issues that can be handled and solutions that we can find to help improve our cities in the future. So what we do is our first criteria for any, any topic is how big of an audience is this? How big of a real issue is this for city builders, for, for leaders in cities and government, and also in states and federal and national, you know, on the national scale? We, we work on, uh, we have a, a great content team, a great team in general, but a great content team that puts together ideas around what makes the most sense in terms of what are, who in the, in the country and internationally as well is actually putting solutions in place. And then we work on that till, till we whittle it down to get to a top 10. 
And it, it, it came to mind. So I live in Dallas uh, in the States and attempting to be pretty forward thinking in a variety of different areas. One of the ones that was really interesting to me was, you know, the broader concept of urbanization in Dallas a couple of years ago, took a huge highway overpass and wiped it out and made it a huge green space, which separates, you know, the two primary urban areas of Dallas. Beautiful idea, wonderful concept, lots of private money, you know, lots of public interest. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely place to be, although it's getting pretty warm here now. But that was all they did, right? That was sort of like job done. Let's move on, you know, to our next big thorny challenge. How do you, do you help them see that, you know, these are 10-year problems, 20-year problems, 50-year problems, or are you just happy in those particular cases that, okay, well, we solved a small piece of a bigger piece in a, in a big city and uh, let's move on to the next challenge? I think, you know, City Age's job is to bring people together to have those conversations. And, and nine times out of 10, when we do bring those people together, some of them have immediate urgent needs, like the one you just described, and others are already way past the urgent. And they're thinking about what's coming down the pike 20, 30, 50 years from now. Since I've joined City Age, one of the things that I've really enjoyed, and that's kind of, so my background, just a bit of an overview, my background is I spent a lot of time in sports and entertainment and in media and a little bit in travel. And in those, organiza- in those organizations that I've been at, you don't look 50 years down the road. You look towards the playoffs or you look towards the next season of whatever show you're working on. It's been really eye-opening and quite a pleasure to speak to people in different businesses or cities and to hear people on our shows and on our events who are talking about something that, you know, what's it going to look like in 2070 and planning those master plans. So I don't think we have to lead people that much to water in that case. I think they're already there. They realize the importance, the challenge is having the political will. And then beyond the political will, putting the finances behind the cities, you know, like putting the finances there so that they can do it. That's the challenge, I think, not about having them to discuss it. That's never a problem to make them realize what's down the pike, what's coming at them in 20, 30, 50 years. Yeah, never shortage of good ideas. But, you know, we, we passed a trillion dollar infrastructure bill in the States over the course of the last year. And so now you have a lot of cities that are potentially going to act like lottery winners, right? And an enormous percentage of lottery winners are bankrupt several years after, right? I mean, how (laughs) do you take someone whose entire world was constituent management and yes, ma'am, I'll fill your pothole and help them see like, maybe we should completely rethink public transportation in the face of autonomous driving. You know, there are these reactions either to, to urbanization or to diversity challenges or whatever. I mean, these are huge problems for people who have never really had to think that way. Mm-hmm. They are. And and you actually hit on two issues that are very much top of mind for us and what, what we produce. I'll give you an example. We had a woman named Kim Williams, who I believe is the chief innovation officer for the, for the Department of Transportation in Harris County. Harris County oversees, there's 14 cities as part of Harris County. There's about 3 million people there. It's growing to 7 million in the next 20 years. She is looking at, we had her on a podcast and what you just described is exactly what she's talking about. How do you innovate in a world where a business that has really been quite stayed for many, many years, transportation, public transportation, one which cannot turn people down, unlike private business. How do you fix that whole system in fixing it in real time and preparing for something 20, 25 years down the road? So there's that, that what you just described about transportation is a very real issue. And some of the things that they're doing are incredible work in public private partnerships and collaborations, being able to test initiatives, like adding Wi-Fi on their buses or on their trains long in in a much more rapid 
fail fast kind of nimble mentality than doing it in a long and traditional drawn out RFP process. On the flip side of what you were just describing was education, which is of massive need of overhaul and rethinking and redesigning and re-engineering. And we have, we've been partners for many years with an organization called Reimagining America Schools. And some of the events that we've hosted with them have been incredibly jarring to realize and to put yourself in your, remember yourself in public school and elementary school, the structure of your building of that school, you start in one floor, you move further towards the end of that school as you go graduate from one year to the next. And eventually it sort of poops you out at the end. That hasn't changed in 50, 60, 70 years. The educational system, the physical buildings, forget the actual curriculum, just the buildings themselves haven't changed. So how can we expect to educate our kids in a different way when all their settings and what, where their schools are in the, in the city and what the school actually provides is so stagnant? So we, the way we're trying to long-winded answer to your question, Paul, is the way we're trying to handle it is by bringing some incredible minds like Reimagining America Schools, like Kim Williams, bringing them to our events and our podcasts and to our content and sharing that and bringing the right people to the table so they can have real dialogue about that, not just listen to a panel discussion. Well, it's an, and it's an interesting thing, right? This is going to sound political. It's not intended to be. The, the structure of those systems government generally, right? Whether, you, you know, and, and, and education is, is a government function in most parts of the world, um, are so in, entrenched in that, in, entrenched in, and this is just the way we do things. This is the way we build buildings. This is the way we hire people. This is the way we manage them. This is the way we deal with organized workforces. These are the ways, like, and that, how do you, as a, you know, as a guy that's been in technology for 30 years, how do you bring some of that more innovative thought, which is not rewarded by a system that's been built up over the last hundred years to, you know, don't upset the apple cart. I think you just got to be bold. I think it's that simple and, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but I think when you put a big, hairy, audacious goal in front of people and show people how it's able to be done, how it's been done, even on a small scale, they realize that they have an opportunity that they may not have realized they had beforehand. And I think sometimes we do have to start small. We do have to do a bold initiative in a small setting. In my opinion, university and college campuses are some of the best opportunities for us. They're, they're basically mini cities on their own. And if we can make changes there at the campus level, we can then extrapolate that into a little, little bit, maybe a neighborhood. And after a neighborhood, maybe you get a, a town or a city and it just grows that way. I think you just have to put a really challenging, ambitious goal in front of you, try it, be successful on it, and then spread the word from here to, you know, from here to everywhere. That to me is the, the first step. Otherwise, you know, it's so easy to get stuck. It's so easy to get stuck. I, I, I was in Boston a few weeks ago. I took my kid to a, uh, I'm Canadian, so this will make sense once I tell you this, Paul. I, I took my kid to an NCAA Frozen Four hockey um, games and uh, was, which flew down to Boston. And I was reminded of how I was there maybe 30 years ago, 20, 30 years ago during the big dig. And they had a great billboard right at the big dig, the main area where it was a real, just, you know, a real horrible traffic zone. And the billboard said, remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. If it was, we would have hired their contractors. And I love that billboard on this for so many levels. And one of them is simply because it humanizes what we're trying to do in cities. Like everyone who's stuck in traffic, swearing to kingdom come at that moment, 
pissed off that they're going to take an extra 30 minutes that this road turn change that no one's working on that block where they've closed it off. Everyone in that moment, when they see that billboard can for a second, breathe and realize, oh yeah, we're trying something new here. This is important. It's for the betterment of all of us. I think that, I think we have to keep that in perspective and keep that in mind more often than we do. I, uh, in a similar time frame, remember being in a taxi coming out of Logan and watching the water leak above thinking, oh my God, what have they done? <laughs> so uh, it, it's good that it's finally done. Now, I, I think it's interesting, but you, you go down probably the most important path. And, and, and that, now that we've done this, you know, these podcasts 30-ish times, you know, two things really, really come to the, the, to the forefront of the ones that tend to work, right? You have to change the culture. And you have to have a really great change management process so people can understand like, hey, at the end of this, this is what this is going to look like if everybody you know, just sort of grabs arms. And that takes just spectacular leadership. And, and, and we look at, in some cases, again, not to be political, we look at political leaders as the answer, but they're not the ones that actually make that happen. And historically, the best and the brightest, very honestly, have not chosen to go to government. They've, you know, become entrepreneurs out of Stanford and they've, you know, built amazing things at MIT or, you know, revolutionized something at McGill. And, and, and they don't go to municipalities or, or even to states. So how do we create an environment where those, those best leaders, the biggest minds will come help to fix these problems and lead us all there? Well, it ain't going to happen overnight. That's for sure. I think it's, I think it's not that different than how we create environments for our organizations to get the best and the best. And I think part of it is, you need to attract great talent. And in order to attract great, great talent, you need to attract, you need to have a great culture and you need to, you need to be a great place to live. So if, you know, if, again, this is a bit of a chicken and the egg, of course, but if we can concentrate on being a place people want to live in for all the reasons that, that, you know, that we live in general and we add good, let's call it great digital connectivity, then I think you have a shot at attracting the right people. The world of work is changing more than it ever has changed probably. And as a result of that, I think we have the opportunity to rethink what it means for someone who's, who is, would constitute as great talent to do something at scale as opposed to doing something for, you know, I guess just for him or herself, but doing something for the better, the better good. I don't have the solution to that beyond the idea that we are all in it together. And I know that's going to sound hokey, you know, hokey and, and airy fairy. Um, but there are cities that are producing incredible innovations and changing lives for millions of people. And we need to put a lens on those cities a little bit more and showcase what it means to be a great place to live so that, and what it means to be a well-running city so that we can actually have people attracted to that industry. I don't think, I don't think it needs to, you know, and, and and I know that you said earlier, you, you know, avoiding being political. I'm, I'm very apolitical and I'm nervous about the polarization of this. And I would hate to, I would, I would really like to believe that cities can just look at themselves and the people who have an opportunity to work in leadership positions can look and realize that it, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle they're on. Everyone's living in that city and they are, they're all in it together. They realistically. It's hard though, in the, in the world that we're now li- living in, that there is no way to say, yeah, yeah, but put your affiliation on the shelf. They don't look at this as a red problem or a blue problem or whatever country you're in. They look at this as this is all, all of our problems. But, but right? isn't that horrible of us? Like, I agree with you. I mean, like we, we've inherited, we inherited a worse world than, than our parents inherited. We haven't helped it. And it just feels like we're just passing the buck if we're now saying, oh, it's that, you know, we're out and let's give it to our kids. And, and yeah. I, 
I, no, I, I hate, you know, I've got, I've got two boys. I've got a, an 11 year old who wouldn't dare not put something that belongs in recycling and recycling, you know, wouldn't, sorry, wouldn't dare put in the wrong spot. Right. He, he, he turns the lights off. He's, he is, he does all the small little things that an 11 year old knows to do in order to try to be good for society and for the world at large. And then my 14 year old who has a belief that, well, you know what, if it, uh, what can one person really do? You know, I'm just one person. If you think if I'm going to throw out that, that paper plate, it's in the garbage. Is it really going to ruin the world? And it's like, it's amazing to think they went to the same school. They have the same genetics. They have the same, you know, nature and nurture are identical. What makes one of them so much more of a global citizen than the other? I'm fascinated by that. And I hope to God more people are like the 11 year old in that regard than the 14 year old. Yeah. Well, it goes to something you said at the beginning, which is, is the important part is it's great to have conversations, but how do you turn insights into and advocacy into action? Like, how does it become something that someone says, okay, yeah, we are going to take a portion of this budget and one small neighborhood and try to create something that we can all be proud of. How do you, how do you guys try to lead to that? We do it in a couple of different ways, but we've had some great success in the last year in particular, um, with one initiative of ours, which are, we'll, we're just calling them digital roundtables. We're now doing them in person as well. And those are handpicked audiences of about 12 to 15 senior leaders, decision makers. They may not be always the CEO, because as you alluded to earlier, the CEO or the mayor may not have the, the will or the ability to make the change, but they might be CEO minus one or CEO minus two. And we get them in a room, virtual or in person, and we have a moderated discussion on a specific topic for two hours. And we often start that with a panel or a, or a case study that we show. And we work them straight into, okay, what does it take? What does it take for you to get this done? And the people are, as I said, they're by invitation only, they're handpicked. And we follow a Chatham House rule. So no one gets, no one has to feel embarrassed. No one's worried that their names are going to get out there because it's a private conversation. After which we put together a report that actually has real tangible step, but not step by step, but real tangible steps involved in identifying how do we get from here to there. So that's one of the ways that we, we try to do it. And we've been fortunate enough to have great clients and great sponsors who can sponsor some of those events to tackle specific issues that may be relevant to their industry. And, uh, and we're seeing great interest in it and great success so far. Likely to be coming out with a few case studies to show some of those successes, but which we haven't done just yet. And in those particular cases, who takes the lead? Is it the is it the public entity that says, "Hey, this is for the greater good"? Is it the you know I went to a college that was was essentially born from you know a semiconductor manufacturer fifty years ago, saying we're not getting enough smart people, so we're going to build ourselves a college, and it's since become you know a flourishing, well thought of organization. Like how how does the the private contributor play a role here? You know, it's really actually quite balanced. Um, I don't think I could point to our roundtables as saying they're primarily led by private innovators any more than I can say they're primarily led by the public elected official or the the public worker. Um, It's meant to be, and we've been fortunate that we have been able to bring together the right people. And when you do it right and you, you know, it's like, it's like putting together a bunch of spices into the pie. Um, You don't taste the spices afterwards. You just have this fantastic taste. Boy, that was an analogy I've never used before. And it might have, well, it might, might, get me might not have worked at all. Time. Yeah. Um, so 
you, you said something interesting about um, you know the, the the things that make individual um, work areas, municipalities, local government, whatever the case may be, work the best. Are there patterns that you guys are starting to see about you know when these things occur, then um, then then change can ha- can really happen. We see the change best when people think of second and third order consequences, not just a quick return. So we kind of, I think generally speaking, when, when organizations value and organizations or cities value the return differently than just financial capital. So whether it's, whether they're thinking about health and natural capital, you know, health capital or natural capital, if they're not just looking at it to check off a box that did we, or did we not drive economic development? That's when it's best. And so when you look at, you know, you look at yourself and the mission that you're trying to drive there, what does success look like for you in five or seven or 10 years? We're, we're, that's almost doubling our, um, our tenure <laughs> as a business. Um, what we hope to do is in terms of success for us, A, is our return to in-person events. That will be having an audience that is the right audience. We always focus on quality over quantity. So we'd rather have a hundred of the right people than a thousand of the wrong people in a room. Success for us is where we can actually point to bring, having brought the right people to the table to discuss the right issues with the right leaders and the right thought leaders in the room. If we can point to a development that has happened as a result or a, or a business relationship that has been nurtured at some of our events that have actually turned into a real entity, that's success for us. And we've had those successes and we continue to have those in some cases in the most unlikely scenarios where Someone is a sponsor is coming in and is excited about meeting one particular company, and they end up realizing that a different company is the company that that is um, is the perfect match for them. Um, so for us, we're hoping to grow both the you know to get deeper on the the main topics that we focus on, which are the urban development through a environmentally strong, healthy city, building cities for all through universal design decarbonization of, of cities and heavy industry in particular, developing a healthy food ecosystem that can feed 10 billion people primarily in urban centers on the planet. Those are our primary themes, focusing on data and privacy is another, another one. So we, if we can bring those people together in small settings and large, introduce, introduce even larger scale conferences and shine a light on the people that are doing, people and organizations that are doing great work today to solve tomorrow, that's success for us. It's, uh, it's an admirable one to be sure. So you've been, um, you've been very generous with your time today, Alon. The last question I ask everybody is, after a hard day and a successful trip to the Frozen Four <laughs> and, uh, and revolutionizing a, uh, a particular area, what do you like to listen to? I wish you didn't ask me that question because it ages me or it shows uh, my musical taste is stuck somewhat in the seventies. But if if I, I'm going to, I'll answer your question two ways at the end of a long day, I'd love to sit and listen to some Harry Chapin, but to start a long day, I would say Bruce Springsteen. There's a, there's, there's an interesting symmetry there. You think that is for sure. There's an interesting symmetry there for sure. Well, you've been great. I, uh, I wish you and, and your team all the best. And um, thanks very much for joining Thank me. Thank you very much, Paul. Have a nice day. That was clearly a fascinating conversation. And here are some of the key takeaways from our discussion. First, 
If we hope to usher in a new era of innovation for future generations, we'll need to approach the world through an entirely different lens. We can't expect to improve areas like transportation and education when the infrastructure they're built upon has remained stagnant for decades. To adopt this new mindset, we'll need to bring together some of the country's best and brightest thinkers for honest conversations about what really needs to change in society. Second, we'll also need to acknowledge that it can be difficult to innovate in a system that often rewards complacency. To create real change, more people need to have the courage to be bold, set audacious goals, while charting a realistic course to get there. Third, Rome wasn't built in a day. And as we work towards building better, stronger cities, it's important to maintain a sense of perspective about the path to success. Growing a city is a marathon, not a sprint, and every improvement will ultimately benefit us all. And fourth, as the name of this show suggests, things are changing a mile a minute in almost every industry and sector. There's never been a better time to take advantage of new opportunities and think outside the box to contribute to the greater good. We need to showcase some of the incredible strides being made in cities around the world so we can inspire others to drive innovation forward. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.